a message to the world. I like, I love entrepreneurs, like people who want to change the status quo and challenge it. And so I would say, like, never take no as an answer. Figure out how you can still make progress, even if it feels hard or you get up in the morning and you're not energized. Like, know that there is a North Star driving you and pursue it. And if, if, if you're curious and excited and, and really enthusiastic about it, which I hope you will be at some point about one thing in life, go for it and I think it'll, it'll pay back multifold. Okay, guys, so I got Nicholas here. He is the founder of With Clutch, and he is here to tell you how to pivot from one company to the next in the pandemic. Nick and I had an amazing conversation. You know, we talked about personal finances in the car industry. We talked about overcoming struggles. You know, this episode isn't really about personal struggles, but I really think if you listen to the value that Nick has, especially in this pandemic, how you can go from raising over 10 million dollars and then just starting a new business so nick thank you so much for your time your knowledge and you know just these laughs so just dive deep into this episode guys and if you haven't already go over to apple podcast and leave a rating and review i would very much appreciate it go find nick on facebook all of his tags will be in the bottom of the show notes and go check out with clutch. So guys, this is a super, 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 super powerful podcast. I am honored to bring it with you guys, you know, and I know my, the consistency with my podcast has not been there. And I apologize for that. A lot of stuff going on, lots of stuff going on. So with all that, stuff going on right now i got two special things going if you want to be coached by me or are starting a new podcast and need help with that then i can help you so guys obviously if you love this podcast i can make you a podcast just like this one but your own style obviously and if you just want to learn more of what i have gained from all the knowledge and the amazing guests that I've had on my show, then I am teaching that one-on-one now. So if you like it, email me at none of your business podcast at outlook.com or find me on Instagram at Robert Delude. Guys, it has been an honor to be in your ears each time that you listen. I am truly honored. So, If you're looking to start a podcast or just need a new lifestyle coach, then I got you. Just some little projects that I got going on, but I want to help my audience even more. So, and if none of that is really for you, 
then you guys know that you can always go over to eastcoasttags.com and use the promo code none of your business and get 10% off all your merch. Guys, we got a lot of stuff going on over here in the none of your business industries. So I love you guys. Please share this with someone. Share it on your social media. Share it in a text message. Just share it wherever. Guys, we need this right now. Ooh, and I forgot. So I got a Facebook group going. It's called NOYB Family. Just shoot me a message over on Facebook to get invited to this group. It's going to be a community where just all the listeners and guests can come on and just interact with another one with one another. Oops. So I hope you guys enjoy. Anyways, I'm going to shut up because the important part is coming. So subscribe, share, and leave a review, guys. I love you. And we're on. So welcome. I got Nicholas on the other screen here to on the None of Your Business podcast. So Nicholas, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. First of all, I'm from Germany originally. I got I was born and raised in Munich. That's that's where the Oktoberfest is. Okay. <laughs> okay. They, care. <laughs> they skipped it this year, sadly. But um, born and raised in Munich. And fast forward, I played on the German national team for I think four or five years. Uh, golf, believe it or not. Okay. And so there was a time when I thought about becoming a professional golf player, but then ended up pursuing a more academic career. Went to college, studied computer science and finance, and then went and moved to the Bay Area in San Francisco to go to Stanford to pursue an MBA here. And that was in 2000, from 2011 to 2013. And 13, one of my classmates and good friends of mine and I started a business. We were selling used cars online, and we can go into that more if you want to. Uh, raised 10 million venture funding, sold the business to Carvana in 2017. That's the business of the company with the car vending machines. We stayed there for three years and just left to start a new business. Cool. Did you say the car vending machines? Or yeah. Did I hear that. What? Yeah, no. What is the car vending machine? <laughs> if you Google it, there's only one that pops up. So Carvana is 100% online car sales. Think of Amazon, but for used cars. Yeah, yeah. And so the big difference between selling everything that Amazon sells and selling used cars is used cars are very big and you need to deliver them. Mm -hmm. And so that's Car Carvana does that. They have these one car haulers drive cars to the customer. Gotcha. Okay. But in, in order to still create a pickup experience, so some customers prefer no delivery, but picking up the car and want some physical footprint and like some identification of the brand. Um, the guys at Carvana came up with this idea of having this big tower, which looks like a vending machine. And gotcha. so you can go in there, you pick up your car, you throw in a coin and then lights go off and it's a really cool experience. And then you expect or you receive your car. Hmm. I didn't even know something like that existed. <laughs> <Speechless. laughs> so I'm like, like, that's super cool. Um, that's yeah, it's super cool. So you, you raised, quite a bit of capital to start sure. your guys' business. Like what are some challenges that you had doing that? So we started out 
we stumbled into this space. Like I didn't plan on building a company in the car space. My co-founder is a huge car enthusiast. His, his first car was a DeLorean, in fact. Oh, really? The one from Back to the Future, yeah. <laughs> he bought it, wrecked on Craigslist, fixed it with his dad, and then drove it for a couple of years. So he's a huge car enthusiast. And he and I were thinking about starting some sort of business in the auto space, but weren't sure around what it would be. And then all our classmates approached us telling us, hey, we're leaving the area or we're moving to San Francisco or we're leaving the country. I don't know what to do with my car. I don't want to lose so much money and sell it straight to the dealership. Can you help us? And we ended up selling their cars, like cleaning them, detailing them, photographing them, putting them on Craigslist. And so we, without, without noticing or without knowing, we stumbled into the car space and then felt like there's a lot, a lot of experiences that could be improved and we mm-hmm. pivoted around. And so the hardest part was figuring out what's the exact business, because in the beginning we were selling our classmates cars, but that's more of a consignment, consignment car dealership, like that's nothing new. And we were asking ourselves, how can we use technology to scale the business and then build a business that hasn't been built before? And we needed to figure out what the perfect model is. We ended up not pursuing peer-to-peer, so I wouldn't continue helping you or my classmates sell their cars to somebody else. Instead, we worked with institutions who sit on huge pools of inventory Mm -hmm. and help them sell their cars to consumers, directly to consumers, without going through the traditional dealership. And so that's the model that took off. And the hardest part was learning enough in order to stumble into this and, and realizing that this can be done. What kind of mindset do you think it would take somebody to scale it to that level? Uh, so we're, we're in the process of starting another business. And so it's actually very, very present to me, this experience of not knowing where the journey is going to go. And so it's really easy if you think about a business to continue thinking and talk yourself out of doing the business or starting the business because it's every business is hard. Mm-hmm. And you you just don't know where the journey is going to go eventually. In in our case, we we just were committed to selling cars. Like that was the number one metric: sell more and more cars, knowing that on every sale we'd learn something. And so the most important part is actually to get going, to just start something, and then force yourself to have a lot of conversations. Because in the conversations, when you try to sell your product, people will tell you, "I don't want what you're giving me." But if you build X, Y, or Z, I'd actually pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so not having had the experience, but forcing ourselves to continue learning, that was hard. And I think it's a mindset that you need to push yourself in. You're not hardwired to, to think like that. It's not what you learn at school. Right. But now that we do it the second time, I'm realizing that it's actually really fun. Right on. So like building your second business, what are some things that you're coming across that you're like, oh, wow, I'm so glad that I know this now that I <laughs> didn't know back then. <laughs> okay, yeah, but, so what are like some three things that you could tell the listeners? Yeah, so there's there's three three very different types of problems you're running into when you're starting a business. You're running into a problem that is new to you and you don't know how to solve it. Like there's there's no data, there's no person you can go to. No mm-hmm. advisor, problem number one, that's the hardest one. Problem number two is you're running into a problem that you've never had, but other people have had before. Mm-hmm. And problem type number three is the one where like, you just don't know the answer, but you know what to do to get to the answer. And so the last one is the easiest. That's just the nature of a startup. You, you need to run a lot of experiments and collect data, have a strong conviction, put an experiment out there, 
test, collect data, and then decide whether A or B is the right direction to go. And so th these ones you do hundreds of times a day. Problem number two, that was the one in the middle, is the one where you're running into a problem that you've never seen or had, but other people have. Mm -hmm. And so that's where advisors are super helpful. We have, that happens to us all the time. We just came up a call with one of our really good friends and advisors. We're making a decision on whether or not to hire one or the other candidate. It's, um, we've never were presented with those two choices. And so it was hard for us to make a decision and it's very hard to collect data other than through the interview. But our advisor was like, no, no, I can tell you, this one will work better because of X, Y, or Z. So that was mm -hmm. really helpful. And the, the hardest part is, and it's the hardest, but also the easiest is only you know the answer. Like the, you have a problem, you, don't, you can't collect data, you can't ask anyone else because you're the first one to do it to start a business. And so there you just need to really trust your values and, um, and um, like the mission and the North Star. Where mm -hmm. do you want this journey to go? So in our case, in the new business, for example, we want to sell, save Americans a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We want to, the angle we're taking is to refinance auto loans of people who are overpaying currently. And so I actually don't care how exactly we're going to go and get there. We want to build a business between where we are and the North Star. But if, it, if it's going directly to consumers, we'll do that. If it's going through businesses and then to consumers, for as long as we know the North Star is saving Americans money, it's relatively easy to make these decisions because you know where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And so these are the three types of problems you run into and the way I, I and we used to solve them. Okay. So now you got Kavana. What is your guys's, what's the business that you're, starting now so when while selling cars we had two insights okay number one people asked us we were think of us a dealership we were virtual and online but we were practically a dealership mm -hmm. people asked us for loans 80 percent of people who, who finance their vehicles got a loan through us but that doesn't make any sense if you think about it because we're good at selling cars we're not a bank and instead, we have weird incentives where if you ask me for a loan, I'll probably give you the one referred to the bank that pays me the highest referral fee versus giving you the loan that pays you the lowest rate. Mm -hmm. The insight number one is if you get your car at the dealership, you're already overpaying. Insight number two, and that take a little bit longer to learn because you need to see people migrate and make their payments. If you make your payments and you weren't exceptional credit to begin with, that's two thirds of the country, then you would qualify for a much lower rate if you were to buy a car. Mm -hmm. But since you already have a car, you're somewhat stuck in the loan that you got two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of you're overpaying on day one and then you're overpaying even more because your credit improved led us to start a business, a digital platform to refinance auto loans mm -hmm. in order to save Americans money. Okay. So why would somebody buy a new car off the lot? <laughs> That's a good question. So... Um, uh, yeah, so very good question. You buy a new, you you buy either a new one or used one. Used ones are, I think, really clever in many ways because you don't have the first two three years of depreciation where you lose half of the value of your car. Mm -hmm. So cars become much more affordable. If you want a loan on the car, it makes a lot more sense to have it on the used one because while you have to pay balance and interest, the car keeps depreciating. It's a depreciating asset. Mm -hmm. If you buy a used car, it depreciates much slower. So the, the time it takes for you to catch up with a car value to not have negative equity is much shorter on a used car than on a new car. Mm -hmm. That would speak for buying a used car. Uh, but your question was, 
when does it make sense and why would you buy a new car? I think buying a new car is has like two or three nuances to it. Number one, you can get really interesting financing rates because the manufacturers that promote the new car sales with like 0% interest or very little percent interest or these ridiculous leases sometimes where you get a car for very cheap just to move it. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, number two, you just really know what you're getting. It's in the manufacturer's warranty. And so if, if you want to keep the car for a very long time and you, you take full use of it, then it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, doesn't, shouldn't bother you that it depreciates a lot in the first one or two mm -hmm. years because you keep it for the whole life of the car. Okay. So in that case, the reason why you would buy a new car is because you have manufacturer warranty. It's never, nobody's set in it. It's not dirty. It doesn't have a smell or anything. And you just have the news of the news. Every year there's a new model. Like the most extreme version of that is Tesla. Tesla is like, we always refer to it. It's like buying an iPhone. Every year there's a new <laughs> one and people don't like used iPhones. Like when was the last time you bought a used iPhone? Uh, uh, I just don't like buying new things. So I bought a used <laughs> iPhone like three weeks ago, actually. <laughs> so. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> No, it works great. I yeah. No, no. Um, I mean, my my I, my expectation, as you said, yeah. I've never. Oh, used yeah. <laughs> yeah I, um, I drive a '94 Pathfinder because I don't like buying new things. No, yeah, I agree. My car is from 2001, um, and so I I get it, but I also get why if if you want to like celebrate or do yourself a big favor, yeah. Or if you're like into the newest and greatest, then buying a new car is great, but then you either lease it, so you have a very predictable loss and you know exactly what you're getting into over the next two to three years, or mm -hmm. you keep it for the whole lifetime and then it's yours and you, you squeeze every penny of value out of it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I like I see these kids that are my age, like I'm 26 years old and I see people like buying a $40,000 BMW Yep. They always got the new iPhone. I'm like, it, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your money and you're just going in debt. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what happens. Like we, two, two thoughts here. A, that's a lot of vanity. And it's just like, there's so much of your personalities attached to your car. People are very emotional around their cars. They name their cars. They treat them like they were these incredibly shiny objects that shouldn't get dirty. And right. granted, I, I was a little bit like that too. I stopped caring. <laughs> But I, I can empathize. Yeah. And then um, the other thing you said, you're in debt. Yeah, it's crazy. There's people out there that can't have a credit card. Like no lender or credit card or bank would extend the credit card to that person. Mm -hmm. But these people get car loans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's this is good that they get them because that means they can go to work and make money. But uh, it's just crazy how much people are lending against the car that loses value. That's often more than what they make the whole year. Yeah. Where I come from in Germany, and we don't do that. Like we we wouldn't buy anything if we don't have the cash. Right. Yeah, that definitely needs to be taught more in the United States. I agree. That, that it's funny that you say that because when when we asked ourselves, okay, now we sold this business, we love Carvana and been here for three years, but it's time to move on and start something new. Mm -hmm. We actually did want to go in the personal finance space and figure out how can we help people get out of bad credit. That's how it all started. Mm. and then we learned by spending a lot of time in the industry that you have two different types of people you have chronically or behaviorally subprime people and you have situationally subprime people situationally subprime people are people who had good credit but then had a life event a divorce or medical bills or pandemic and lost their jobs and so they 
skipped a few credit card payments and all of a sudden slipped into credit, into bad credit. Mm-hmm. Those people understand, fundamentally understand how credit works. They just had bad luck. Yeah. So once they make their payments, they'll go back and everything will be great. Helping these people, we can do it through refinancing auto loans. Like that's something in Angular you can take that's really effective there. The other population, the chronically or behaviorally subbrain people, those are the ones that never received training of financial literacy. Yeah. Like they got a credit card when they were 16 and thought it's this thing that you can use if you don't have money because it, it's like produces money out of nowhere or you, you can skip credit card payments. Like nobody taught them how to use a credit card, how to build credit and how important it is. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. It should be taught much, much more. Yeah. You know, when I was 16, I got into a car wreck and uh end up getting a settlement from the car wreck. And I was 16 years old with a credit card or a debit card with $100,000 on it. So I was just swiping, swiping, swiping. And then pretty soon, like it, I went over and over and (laughs) over and over. And like, I didn't understand like the importance of financial literacy. If I had that hundred thousand dollars today, I would invest it in something. Well, maybe not real estate right now. Because no, of COVID. But if you had, had you invested it back then, that would be $400,000. Yeah, more. exactly. Just instead of buying cocaine and but my friends, whatever the hell or my so-called <laughs> friends, like okay, it, yeah. uh, it was not a good, you know, but now I learn now, like everything happens for a reason. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I can like, definitely. You shouldn't be buying cocaine even if you had cash. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, um, yes, no, I'm a recovering I... drug addict, by the way. Uh, I don't know if you listened to any yeah. of my. No, we talked about this. Oh, I listened to the other episode, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for no, sure. No, I get it. The, the problem is people don't teach you how to, um, how to use money and how to build credit. And so I think it, it's a very important lesson early on in life. And like if there's one thing I hope we'll achieve with our businesses, two things actually help people save a lot of money in their car payments mm-hmm. and then be, get that message into car buyers before they make these decisions that, uh, that hurt their credit in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to name the business, um, but there's a business in Montana that their APR rate is like 20% or something. Yeah. And they will just sign a car note to anyone. Like, it doesn't the matter what credit you have. It's actually not the highest. Credit goes all the way. Interest rates on auto loans go all the way up to 29%. Wow. Yeah. And so it's interesting because you, you think that's predatory. And so in some way it is. But in other ways, you have three big different segments of credit. You have super prime or prime mm-hmm. means above 700 credit score means you your loan should come from a credit union you have a rate of two to three percent there's the other segment between 600 and 700 credit score that's where you would get your loan from a commercial bank like chase bank of america mm-hmm. capital one ally financial you name it and then there's the subprime segment everything below 600 and so that business is a business of managing your portfolio and risk it's it's very different than a normal lending business because you know that people will default. Like mm-hmm. the other banks and credit unions hope they can find their way around no defaults. Mm-hmm. But in the subprime segment, you know that half of your portfolio will default. And the problem is you just don't know before you give the loan who it is. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, you, you need to charge high rates to everyone because you just don't know how people behave. Mm-hmm. Some people will make their payments and that's how these, these businesses make a lot of money. Others won't, and then it's a business of repossessing cars. Yeah. And so fundamentally, 
giving people access to cars, I think, is a good thing. I think where the, the model is flawed is that you have people, and we see them every day, that make payments at like 20, 25% for three, four, five years. Nobody, like they're so disciplined. They're, they're basically paying for this car twice of the right? of the loan. Yeah. Um, and nobody helps them. And so that's where we're coming in. Yeah. I was, I just, I see the, like they have stickers on the, all their cars around my town. So I just went and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm just going to drive by and see like everyone's buying cars from these guys. What's, and they're always like on Facebook ads, whatever. So I just stopped by and I was looking at it like a 2003 Chevy Cobalt and the condition that it was in based off Kelly blue book was like, it was worth like maybe $2,900 and uh, with their payment plan at this dealership, they would be paying like $12,000. I'm like, Jesus Christ. That yeah, is... it's, and it, if, if you're one of these borrowers, it doesn't even feel to you like you own this car. It feels like you're renting it. You just, because all they talk about is monthly payment, monthly payment, monthly payment. Yeah. And that's in that moment, that's the consumer, the, how the consumer thinks about it because they're like, shoot, I need to go to work. I need four wheels and an engine. And I have $450 a month that I can afford. And yeah. then while the dealership will think or think about it as this is a sale, the consumer says, I'll try to make the monthly payment on a month-to-month basis and see if I can make it. And if it works out and I, I end up having a job, a steady job and making money, making my payments, well, then I'll do that for the rest of the next four or five years. The problem is you're just massively overpaying and the fact that you've been disciplined doesn't get rewarded in the system right now, which is what we're trying to fix. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now with like COVID, have you had like any struggles with your guys' business? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. There's COVID does two things to our type of business. Number one, it forces people to do things online. And the, the big problem of auto refinance and the reason why it never took off is because the banks and lenders who ultimately give you the loan kind of expect it for you to w- walk into the branch. Like you needed to show up in person, sign physical signatures and, and use real ink on real forms. Mm-hmm. Like that, that transition is now going towards digital, which, which is the reason why we felt this was a huge opportunity right now to do it 100% online. So that's a good thing. Yeah. The other good thing is for us, people are a little bit cash strapped and they're looking for creative ways to get cash. And a really creative way is either to tap into the positive equity of your car and get a thousand or two thousand dollars out of your car because it's worth more than your outstanding loan balance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really creative way. But then independent of that, even if you don't need any cash, people are looking to save now. And so refinance is exactly that. It helps you save money on your car. And so that's why COVID is, is actually enabling this business more than anything else. Oh, nice. Not Probably not a lot of people, except for mass companies, could say that right now. It's mainly tech, right? If you look at, at which stocks are doing well, it's all the tech stocks are doing well because it's the digital transition and things are going digital and online. Yeah. It, there's a big, big, big discrepancy or gap between like traditional businesses mm-hmm. and the modern tech businesses. And if you look at valuations and yeah, if you, it shows that you want to be in the tech side of things. Absolutely. Even just uh, shopping online. I there's exactly yeah. like down the street from my house, they were before COVID, they were like remodeling this uh, commercial building for stores and 
like it's been finished for months and nobody is obviously renting it yeah real estate is a very tricky one i think fundamentally like real estate will continue to exist and it it goes in phases you can see the last time we had a pandemic in the early 1900s like people still went back to office it's just it'll just hurt short term but i think what's interesting is that the way things change like people will all of a sudden be much more flexible work remotely people mm-hmm. will leave the big cities i live in san francisco and prices like rent has gone down quite a bit which i benefit from but fundamentally is a little bit of a problem for the economy i think it'll come back it'll just be a different different normal mm. well tell your neighbors to stay out of montana because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> they're coming up there <laughs> they are yeah. i actually was in montana i went to yellowstone oh nice June, and it was really nice in June? Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. So we, we went basically two days after things opened up again. And then we were lucky because we were almost the only people in the park. It was beautiful. Nice. Yeah, Yellowstone is beautiful. I, I, that's for sure. Um, so when you're not, you know, going to Yellowstone and before COVID yeah. and working, like, what is something that you do in your free time? Good question. So when when... We still ran our first business from 2013, 2017. We, we were very, very busy. We kept ourselves very busy. The, the company becomes your identity. And if that doesn't happen, then it's not like the startup you want to build because you want this to be like your baby, right? Right, yeah. And so back then, we just worked a lot. And then when we transitioned into selling the company, becoming employees, we, we still worked a lot. But the hours were different. Weekends were free. And... A, I need to get used to having all this time back, which that's an interesting problem. But B, I got lucky that most of my friends from business school are international. And it was this phase of their lives and our lives where people got married. So I traveled a lot, went to a lot of weddings um, and just took advantage of the time before COVID when people could still travel. Like yeah. I've traveled less in the last seven or eight months than, than ever before in my life. And it's kind of pleasant too, but I used to travel a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. I, so I moved, I used to live two hours east of where I'm at now. I moved to Missoula, which is more of a college town, a little bit bigger, not any size like San Francisco. Like there's maybe a hundred thousand people here, but like there's more concerts, more stuff going on. Yeah. So like, I'm going to move to Missoula, be more social. And then I moved here two weeks after shut down, no live concerts, no nothing. It's kind of ironic that I'm trying to go be more social and the world tells <laughs> yeah. me no. You you just get to do your podcast. And that's, that's good though. This is how you meet people. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was already doing the Zoom thing before everyone was. So um, at least <laughs> yeah, I have a good mic to game, talk to people. Yeah. What's that? You were ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have a morning routine? And what is it? Yeah, so I usually get up, like we have an eight eight o'clock kickoff meeting, my co-founder and the team and I. So by that time, I need to be showered and ready for the day. And in order to do that, I usually get up seven, six forty-five, seven, and then I go for for a run for half an hour and take a shower. Um, and so I've been going on quick runs for the last four years or so, and that really made a big difference. I used to be an athlete, so I used to be fit and and run a lot and keep myself healthy but then when i worked so much you you kind of neglect that and you want you want to sleep for another 20 minutes and so you skip that run and 
the workout. And so I noticed that it helps me a lot to be clear and, and think clear and, and feel less anxiety mm-hmm. uh, throughout the day. And that's my routine. And then at eight o'clock, we have a call, kickoff call, read, read out to the rest of the team what our priorities are. And then I, I usually eat a quick breakfast right after. And then I get to work. What do you eat? Uh, cereals. Cereals. <laughs> Honey nut loops. <laughs> Honey nut loops. There you go. There's the uh, the secret meal for to build a business is honey loops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheerios. Cheerios, right on. So, <clears throat> if you could, if COVID wasn't happening, and you know you could just wake up and be anywhere in the world and have like the perfect day, you didn't have to work unless you wanted to. You could just wake up and have the perfect day. What would that look like? Um, good question. There, there's two scenarios I have in my head. One is, let's assume it's your last day. Um, if it was my last day, then I would obviously try to see all my family members and, and go to probably to South America where my parents are originally from and mm-hmm. just hang out with the family because I have really nice and fun memories of being there and a lot of my childhood. So if it was my last day, I would go to South America. If I knew that it's not my last day, but I wanted to have a lot of fun, I think I would imagine myself into like, and this could be done even during, during COVID in, in like a somewhat remote house um, with the ability to get up early, work out, then actually work a little bit because I enjoy what I'm doing so much and then spend the afternoon and evening hanging out with friends and doing a barbecue. Mm. So what's stopping you? Um, we're actually thinking about something like that. We, I was in LA for two weeks. I'm in San Francisco now, but there we rent a little house at the beach with three other founders and uh, we had a barbecue. And so we all ran in the mornings and then worked really hard and then met for a barbecue. The, the problem with my, most of my friends, they're spread across the world. Like I have four friends in Turkey right now, Michigan, New York, and Colombia and Germany. There's a lot. And so um, since we can't travel, it's a little bit hard to do it. Plus, they have kids and uh, they're a little bit less flexible. But we're, in fact, like we have a WhatsApp group in which we plan, should we do a trip like that? And where yeah. could it go to? So we're working on it. At least we're working on it. There you go. Right on. So, you know, if you know any about anything about my story, and I've shared a little bit, like I'm a recovering yep. drug addict. And I, it takes me, you know, I have overcame these struggles in my life and I still am managed to be successful. Is there like, what are some struggles that you've had to overcome in business or in your personal life? And how did you do, and how did you do that? Yeah. So I've, I've never been to addicted to addicted to substances. I don't know whether or not I can speak to it very well, but what I, what happened to us when we ran our first company, like it was somewhat like a, an abusive relationship between us and the company because we we really wanted to make it work and Mm -hmm. we gave it a hundred percent and we weren't getting positive feedback so we put more effort into it and like it it affected our personal lives both my founders and mine luckily we got along really well Um, and so after four years and when we sold the company we were incredibly exhausted and all our friends said oh we're so glad this is over even parents said because you've, you've been really struggling um, and so looking back, I totally understand what, what, why, no, what it looked like from the outside. And, and I can see all the mistakes we made. And, and so one of them is having a structure, like getting up early, doing something in the morning that's not work, 
mm-hmm. doing something healthy and then forcing yourself to just draw a line and, and, and stop working at some point and use the weekends wisely. Plus, just build a very different business that's much less reliant on us founders, much more reliant on the technology that we're actually building. Mm-hmm. And so um, you could argue that we were like somewhat workaholics and we have a tendency to do that, go back to work too much. And so we're, we're like listening much more both to our friends as well as to ourselves and our heads and minds and health to react against it. Mm. So if you could like go back five, 10, 15, 20 years from now um, and tell yourself three things, what do you think those three things would be? Thing number one would be like, it's, it's hard to say and hard to like easier said than done actually be patient. Mm-hmm. Like things, things will take care of themselves. We, the problem with being impatient is you force things that are not supposed to work. Like in our previous business or when I used to play golf, like I worked so hard and I forced it so hard that it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. I needed the patience. I needed to take a step back in order to make two steps forward. Yeah. I mean, so this anxiety of wanting to be successful tomorrow actually made it really difficult to be successful the day after tomorrow. And so I feel like now we, we learned the lesson where, where we have this North Star, what we want to achieve, and we keep looking at the North Star, and we care less about the day-to-day progress and more toward about the progress towards the right direction. I think that's number one. Number two is um, I, I didn't know that I was going to move to the yes, but uh, now that I know that I was going to move to the yes, like making a, an effort to stay in touch a bit more with friends and then preparing for not being around a lot because you take friends and everyone and family for granted. And mm-hmm. so luckily everybody's healthy, but knowing that life can be really short, I should have put more effort into spending more quality time with my people. And I'm hoping to catch up with that as soon as, as, soon as I can travel again. And lastly, um, I think, I think just continue being curious. Like I've always been curious and I've mostly made good decisions where I went pursued a path out of curiosity, not out of peer pressure. But um, I think you can, you can never be too curious. And if, if curiosity drives you, or pulls you one direction, like trust that instinct. That's, that's a good, a good thing. Mm, I like that. <laughs> I like that. So, if people want to find out more about you and what your businesses sure. are doing, where can people go? Sure. There's, there's two ways to reach me and maybe you can put it in the show notes. Either find me on LinkedIn. Um, just look for Nicholas Hendrickson and uh, then you find me, friend me, contact me, link me, link to me. Um, send me a message if you have questions or feedback. Feedback is a gift. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> or just go to the website. The business is called Clutch. The URL is withclutch.com. And then if you want to lower your car payments, you're welcome to submit your phone number. It's three simple clicks and we'll make you a firm offer and hopefully lower your payments. Awesome. Awesome. So are you sitting down for this last question? Sitting. (laughs) All right. So Nicholas, what is your message to the world? The message to the world. I like, I love entrepreneurs, like people who want to change the status quo and challenge it. And so I would say like never take no as an answer figure out how you can still make progress even if it feels hard or you get up in the morning and you're not energized like know that there is a north star driving you and pursue it and if if 
if you're curious and excited and, and really enthusiastic about it, which I hope you will be at some point about one thing in life, go for it. And I think it'll, it'll pay back multifold. Love it. Love it. Right on. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you, too.